Hello, students, and welcome to Class of X, the free internet course on how to read and enjoy the X-Men comics better. I'm your teacher and host, John Reisinger, and today I'm joined by the drag queen sweetheart of the internet, Laurie Bird, and we're talking about Chris Claremont and John Byrne's iconic story, Days of Future Past. Hi, Laurie. Hi, John. How you doing? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Is this I, what we're gonna do? I always, my brain says to come in with an accent or, or of of some sort. I don't know. Yes, I'm you're, doing uh, lovely. You know, it, it, it that works because um, it gave me rogue vibes, and I've always thought of rogue as a bit drag queenish. Fully. Um, she's got the attitude. She's got the hair. Oh, um, she's got a lot Fortnite. of good looks. They have the rogue um, skin. It's so good. <laughs> I when they released like the X-Men stuff in Fortnite it was really testing my ability to not play <laughs> oh, Fortnite. Uh-huh. Um I lost that I think test. I think yeah, I think I'm going to have to give into that game at some point because it's like one of the only places in video games where like you know p- characters like my X-Men appear and so I'm like, well, yeah. what are you talking about? It's like I'd like to go play Rogue. Give Rogue a shotgun. Fully. It's um, it's very apt though because the one skin that I think you can't get in like in the store because it was in a battle mm-hmm. or something is the classic mystique skin like her her white her white outfit dress well i i think it's a dress i think they give her both the dress and like the white pantsuit version okay okay yeah 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 cuz cuz yes Ugh. uh which by the way we'll, we'll just get into the deep end really quick we'll talk about your background in x-men okay. but because you brought that up i have to i have to give a little bit of a mystique fact it's been basically canonized that that's her as in mystique yeah. at all times is naked i um, have been thinking about that non-stop <laughs> since i saw you know the old films with when she had like that uh scaly textured skin yeah and she would transform the, the, into clothes and i thought yeah well okay what's happening here let's not ignore the obvious is that cotton mm-hmm. blender is that skin like <laughs> it is it is her um which they don't like they don't get into like too much of like <laughs> the weird questions that can come out of that. Like if I cut a piece of Mystique's clothing, mm-hmm. am I just cutting off a piece of her flesh? I don't think that's explored very much. If it has, I haven't read through those parts yet. However, I do love the idea. And this speaks to how much of a queer icon Mystique is, is that when deciding, I I, I feel like she had to decide her look, her iconic look. Fully. She went a skull in the middle of the forehead and and a you know skull. no and no no one asks why and she's just like it's there and it's there for a reason uh-huh a skull like these sometimes i've seen her in thigh-high boots or like knee-high white yep. boots and like a sarong dress like just right mm-hmm. down the middle exposed thigh that mm-hmm. is it, oh it's it's how can you not just immediately identify with a character like that as a queer person she's as someone funny. who loves fashion and all that stuff yes yeah from the second i saw that that design of her she's so good well let let's let's uh let's talk through like what is your history with the x-men like where did you hear about them first have uh, what's your history with comics have you ever de- delved into them before this what's going on yeah so i'm actually a huge superhero nerd in general i love it not to commit too much blasphemy like as we start you know as we get here but i'm much more of a dc person not as in like favor yeah. but it is in just how much i know about them but I yeah. would say that I uh, I know about as much uh, about as much the X Men about uh, mm, I know as much about the X Men as pretty much anyone else who saw the early two thousands movies with 
you know, Hugh Jackman, Halle Berry in those mm-hmm, biker mm-hmm. leather suits. Um, mm-hmm. um, all the way through. I didn't really care about them, though, until the movie, um, the third one came out that featured the, you know, the entire Brotherhood, Magneto versus the X-Men. And it was a, a the, last of, stand? the Last X-Men Stand. X-Men 3, The Last yes, Stand. Yes, The Last Stand. Before the, um, what was it, the, the new movies with the younger yeah, versions of our Yeah, First Class. Yeah. And- yeah. So, but I remember just, uh, I was such a little queer performer kid that I would see the scene from, I think, the first movie where Halle Berry's Storm character like lifted herself up through an elevator shaft, walked <laughs> through the Statue of Liberty, and said to this day the most iconic line, I think, from any superhero movie, which is, yeah. it's, it's so bad, but it's so good. And she's it's... up against a character named Toad. And she's blowing him away, you know, into the ocean. And she says, do you know what happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning? And then there's this dramatic pause as she looks up into the sky and all that. And then she just says the same thing that happens to everything else. I don't know what about it, but that just (laughs) for me as a kid solidified my love for that character. You know, like, again, a cape, black leather, these this beautiful, like white hair blowing in the wind that she made that's it's it's uh it's quite the line um <laughs> it's not it's, good uh, but it's so it's amazing. not good it's oh uh, yeah but memorable af yes um so so before this like homework assignment that i gave you did had you read any x-men before have i read any x-men no but i gotcha i have a habit of delving deep into like a random person or a random facet of x-men yes because you you requested something around Mystique. I did, yes. I love Mystique. I mean, we talked about her a little bit ago, but just a general queer icon, but also what an amazing character. I just love her as someone who always, she's there to get her hands dirty, but she always pulls out before. Phrasing. Yeah. Before, like she, always get, she always gets herself out of trouble before yes. everything hits the fan. You know, I remember there was, you, you want to talk about a deep dive. I don't know if it's a deep dive per se, but my, when I was a, uh, younger, there was an Xbox 360 game called X-Men. Um, it was uh, X-Men Destiny. Destiny, yes. Horrible game. Yeah. But I loved it. Yeah, horrible game. Horrible game. <laughs> Atrocious, but I loved it. But you got to meet Mystique in the game, and she has oh, a good. line. Yeah, she has a line where your character meets her, and you know she, she sort of walks that line of morality as is. I think yeah. I know she's much more of a villain, but they pose her with a question and the main character says, how can you live with what you're doing as a terrorist? And she says, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. Yeah. Which as you know, a, a nine year old kid or so that was very poignant as someone who already loved characters like Harley Quinn, Catwoman, yeah. your antiheroes. Um, yeah. So Mystique just sort of fell in that line for me. My- Mystique is, I, I fully agree with everything you said. She's somebody that I, grew to love more and more as i've read x-men the majority of my life and i think part of that is because they've almost every time they've added something to the mystique lore or mystique's powers or like kind of like fleshing out a little bit more it just makes her more and more interesting other than i'll say this for the comic nerds other than the draco um series and we're not going to talk about that right now um which was just a bad retcon of her story um but other than that like it's been so fun like she she you know between her relationship with destiny which we can get into in a little bit and her relationship with her kids nightcrawler and rogue and even the development of like going more and more into the details of her mutant power because like 
at this point we're we're just talking about someone who oh she can change the looks like someone else but they've like added more to that added that you know she heals when she um changes shape and Mm -hmm. that she's like as old as like wolverine if not older and that there's still to this day no canonical origin to her um which is part of uh, the the gripe I have for movies like X Men First Class because they rewrote and and changed her character so that she was like the same age as Professor X and like mm-hmm. was like an orphan that was picked up by him and I'm like no 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 that's lame that's not the Mystique Mystique has these mysterious origins that we still don't know and and frankly I don't ever want to know it'll it's one of those things that will always be better in my opinion unsaid than if someone were to flesh out you know. Oh, she was actually born here, and her real name is, you know, Samantha something something. Like, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. She's Mystique. Okay, forever. Fully agree. Um, like, so well, I lo- I love to hear that. Um, so far, I- I'm I'm three for three with people who have had zero background in X Men <laughs> comics on this show, which is perfect. Yeah. It's what I. It's it's this is the test of this show is to see if I can make a show where people who know nothing about X Men can join me in reading uh, a story from the x-men and you know test whether or not it makes sense whether they like it you know what they can take away from it and so the fact that you didn't read anything beforehand is great to hear this is your the i mean i mean is this your first x-men comic ever this is my first x-men comic ever yes well i mean you've jumped into i i threw at you one of the if not the most iconic story of the x-men um it's a lot of people it's a reason why they like eventually adapted into a feature film it's because it is one of the most iconic um stories ever uh and i think that's a good that's a good starting point even though we're back in 1963 and so this isn't modern x-men um it's still you know i feel very recognizable um the story still holds power and uh has weight to it and uh, I'm excited to talk through uh, Days of Future Past, um, which is part of uh, Uncanny X-Men number 141 and number 142 from 1963, written by Chris Claremont and John Burns. Um, John Byrne. Uh, Chris and John had been writing X-Men for a bit at this point, um, and, uh, but this was actually going to be one of their last stories they got to write together. Um, John was being moved to Fantastic Four. Um, and so they were kind of like um, trying to fl- trying to like, you know, use up all of the uh, the ideas they had mm-hmm. before John was going to be <laughs> uh, leaving the story. And so what happened was uh, John wanted to do. Sorry, I said 1963, 1980. Wait, what is what is wait? What is the when was this? I want to get my dates right. 1981, 1963. Where'd I get that? I was like, in my head is right now. I was like, Chris Claremont didn't start writing until like 1975. How did they do this together? 1981. <laughs> um, first flub of the episode, which I said in the first episode of this show, I will get things wrong, but I will try to correct myself along the way. Um, but it's not you. Yeah, so they wanted... Because they, it, it says it. it uh, the, the issue that you sent, it said the same thing for me, 1963. I think it was... Um, that's why you know you're right 1963 is when this volume of uncanny x-men premiered oh. and so 
we you usually that's why that's why my brain heard 1963 in there because this is when that like uncanny x-men one was released in 1963 got it okay um and so we're in so, issue 141 yeah. um which is a, f- a bit years later but john and chris have been writing for a bit and um john was about to leave and so he wanted to do essentially a sentinel story um chris didn't chris claremont who is the father of like uh of x-men uh basically of what we think of modern x-men to this day he he wrote it for like 26 years with almost full control but chris was like no i don't want to do a sentinel story because they're wimpy and john was like it's because you write them wimpy (laughs) give me give me the reins and i'll make them scary and and cool and i think he accomplished it yeah i mean um my first uh it's funny because you know my first interaction with the sentinels was in the movie adaptation of days of future past which i know days of future past yeah you know the same thing as the comics we'll we'll get into that but the sentinels are terrifying even in the film and it translates or i i i kind of felt that same kind of like fear in this comic just from what i remembered and the way they they talked and they showed the sentinels they were almost these unkillable things yeah well, they the Sentinels have gone through a few iterations of like their look, their design. They've even it's kind of like Iron Man's armor, like Mark One, Mark Two, Mark mm-hmm. Three, um, and like when they first were uh, introduced into the comic, they were like these humanoid-sized robots with big old heads, yeah. um, and they weren't as scary as these you know monoliths that are have taken over United States and are basically turned into a police state. Um, and so, yeah, the, we're, we're, John managed to write Scary Sentinels. And I, I, I love that that's, that's what he accomplished with this, which then mm-hmm. would set them up to be like quite the antagonist continued on throughout the X-Men history, you know, depending on their iterations. The, the Sentinels in Days of Future Past, the movie, resemble an even more advanced version of them called uh, Nimrods. Which is oh. that's why like they like adapted you know in the movie they yeah. adapted to their powers Very and, and yeah terrifyingly um, so yeah I I love that was that was definitely a part of the movie I liked I have mm-hmm. I have problems with Days of Future oh, Past yeah. but uh, the movie but that was a fun part um so yeah it it, it this this also like to give some context because we're reading this in 2022 in fact this was my first time reading it there's a lot oh. of like old x-men arcs that i never went back i am definitely a child of the 90s i i definitely read most of my x-men stuff starting in the 90s and going forward Uh i've done some delving back into old issues but there's there's 60 years of these guys and i haven't read everything so it was fun to finally i knew of days of future past and i knew of panels from it i knew of moments from it and but i'd never just flat out read you know issues 141 and 142 a part of that also comes from the fact that up until recently there wasn't like just ready access at any time you wanted to almost any comic of the of you know marvel ever considering you know marvel unlimited and stuff like comiXology and that kind of stuff so the access is there like i had to go find that comic if i really want to read Mm -hmm. or find like a collection a collected issue like a trade back um, so it was fun to, for, to read this through myself for the first time and finally experience everything about this, uh, arc. But like, I wanted to talk about that. Like, I think context to what, where we were with this kind of a story at the time is a lot because 
while a lot of the themes i'm sure you'll agree of this comic feel like have been explored a lot you know the mm-hmm. post-apocalyptic you know technologically advanced timeline you know the going back in time to fix things trope um all, all the things like that like not very you know old when this came out i mean there had been other explorations in some media but honestly in comics this is the first time i mean they start off issue 141 in media res with like a cold open with like kate pride and this this weird you know you know oh the year 2013 that's yeah. crazy what's going on that um it was the first thing i noticed i think because it said 2013 and i thought oh you know that i think it puts into context the fact that this was written now i know you know in the 80s or like what was it 81 yeah it's it's it was that it's that whole thing that a lot of uh time travel movies did where they really call them themselves where they give out the date of where they go forward in time to um and and, uh, this one yeah it's like oh yeah 30 years in the future seems so far so much could happen in 30 years like 2013 i'm like it's pretty much the same but but yeah like you know films like uh you know, this feels like Terminator yes. in certain elements, but that was, you know, five, you know, uh, four, three years later after this came out. And 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 so Days of Future Past was definitely blazing the trail with a lot of these stories, especially in comics. Yeah, I noticed what one of the things I uh, wrote down, and I don't think they mentioned this in 141, but it comes up more in uh, 142, but it's actually just the briefest note. They talk about how, uh, because the the way they're doing time is going back in time t- to fix what's currently there. Yeah. Not really talking about the idea that what when you go back, you're creating a brand new timeline, you know? Yeah. Because this sort of goes yeah. back into Marvel's Avengers, you know, the, the Endgame movie. They really... Oh, yeah, Infinity, Infinity War, War and all that. Yes, they, they took that concept and said, you know, you don't go back and fix what was, you make something new. That's just how time yes. works. And they sort of like, well, it's that was there. It was a hope for them here. They said, well, it, it's either going to fix what it is or it's going to create something new. We have no idea. Which for 1980 is a lot, you know, mind blowing. Yeah. And I love that you brought that up because it wasn't until later that, you know, this introduction of these alternate timelines, this multiverse was really cemented, you know, with words where we named, you know, the X-Men that we're reading now as Earth 616. And this Days of Future Past timeline was revisited uh, a few times after even this comic later on. And so it became its own designation of Earth 811. So, you know, people reading this didn't have that that context of like, oh, yeah, alternate timelines and traveling different, you know, multiverse, that kind of thing. They they were, you know, reading this and and most likely just very, very, you know, concerned about the future of these characters that they loved because, you know, they were selling this book on the idea that death sells um, because it did. It, mm-hmm. it, it moved books off the off the, the the shelves because actually right before this to give a little context as to what's happening in the X-Men comics right before this, because it kind of it really does start off with a cold open. You have no idea what the what's going on with X-Men is this is coming off pretty immediately after the Dark Phoenix saga, mm. which was a very harrowing tale that, you know, all circled around Jean Grey and ends in the seemingly, you know, to the time death of Jean Grey, which was a big deal. And that 
that moved a lot of copies of these comics. And so they, you know, wanted to play with that again. Like, oh, did you like, you know, Chris and John are like, oh, you liked Dark Phoenix. <laughs> like, well, here's a cover where uh, half of your X-Men are quoted as being dead. Yeah. You know, those that little, the little posters behind Wolverine. And then the, the next cover is the same thing where they're like, all the X-Men die in this issue. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they say that on the cover. You thought last one was bad? Well, get ready for this one. Which is so cool. I love it. They're, 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 they're already having to market themselves and they know what they got to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but so Phoenix Saga happened. Jean Grey's dead. Uh, also, Cyclops in, in three issues before this one leaves the X-Men because he's a very, very sad man. Mm-hmm. His uh, girlfriend was turned into a celestial deity and then had to sacrifice herself to stop this creature from destroying another planet. Uh, so he's, he's got some mixed happens. emotions. It's, it's a big thing for boys, yeah. you know? Um, <laughs> and when you're, when your girlfriend turns into, into uh, you know, it's, it's, and, it's a thing like yeah. that all uh, men who date women go through Absolutely. where your, your girlfriend turns yeah. into a celestial deity. They, they teach you that in sex ed, actually. They say, beware of pregnancy and celestial combustion. Yeah. The gays never have to deal no, with that. Never, you know, never. It's, it's not. No. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> so Cyclops leaves in, I think, issue 139. And in that same issue, that's when we're introduced into Kitty Pride. Um, while it looks like when you're reading this, like Kitty might have been around for even just a little bit. This is her like fourth issue. Really? And yeah, she's she's introduced at the very end of one issue. It's just like her showing up, like Cyclops just left and she shows up to the Xavier Mansion bright eyed and bushy tail, like, I wonder what my <laughs> adventures are gonna be like. And then they do this two issue arc where they all just kind of go it's like a normal like monster of the week arc where they're hunting this Wendigo beast. It's not really a kitty centric thing. Mm-hmm. And then Days of Future Past happen. And wow. Kitty was Kitty was the predecessor to kind of what jubilee was uh-huh. in the 90s which is they they these writers were smart and knew that it was beneficial to have a character that was supposed to be the reader in the comic uh-huh. so that you were experiencing this strange world through someone's eyes that you could connect with chris claremont introduced kitty pride and uh i think it was it i can't remember who wrote jubilee first i can't remember if it was jim lee or someone else but jim uh, jubilee was that introduction so kitty is supposed to be the view uh the, the eye of the reader i had no idea that she was a, a brand new character like very new right into this yeah as we talked about one of the most monumental x-men stories that she mm-hmm. for all intents and purposes is at the forefront of yeah i mean this is wow. this is her story it's it, it's part of like um like I know why in the movie they made Wolverine be the center point because he was just a much more well-known character. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can imagine my shock when I was in theaters watching this. And not only is Shadowcat Kitty yeah. not the one, actually she's Sprite. She's Sprite right I now. Was gonna just ask, so many names. I was. I, that's the first thing I noticed. They kept saying Sprite, and I said, "Who?" She's had so many this? names. Okay. Yeah. She and she's even gone like. She's gone by Kitty. She's gone by Catherine. She's gone by Kate. She goes by Kate in the future of this mm-hmm. one. Uh, she's Kitty when she's a little kid. She's like 13 in this. Wow. And she and when when I'm watching the film, not only was she the one that doesn't go back in time, but then they were like they made her the yeah, one that she, apparently has the powers to send Hugh Jackman it, back in time. Yeah, that okay. So that explains a lot. 
of why people were so confused. <laughs> because when I saw that, I was like, oh, surely they didn't just pluck this out of nowhere. Surely this has like some comic relevance. But I guess... I, well, it, it does in the way that they wanted to have her still involved with this story, despite the fact that they knew they had to ride off of Hugh Jackman's yeah. star power more so. Elliot Page did a very good job, yes. I thought, as Shadowcat, but I, just wasn't the main character. I loved when he played. So that was another character, like that the, the character of Kitty Pride um, in the earlier movies, uh, but mostly in Last Stand. That's where I remember uh, Shadowcat the most. Oh, yeah. Shadowcat fights like Juggernaut. Juggernaut and, and has, again, one of the just bad, badly written lines, but is so good. I actually, this is so startling to me because I am an old man who's been reading <laughs> X-Men comics for three decades. And I've, well, I did the last episode with Diction, who's also a fellow old man. <laughs> I My first episode was with my buddy Andy, who's younger than me. And then I'm doing it now with you and, and you're quite the youngin as well. Mm. And so Andy was the same way where it was the Brian Singer films that introduced him to X-Men. And that's just shocking to me. Right. Because I think at the very least, like in my head, most people that are my age at least watch the 90s cartoon. But I realized that even that's old compared to like people's introduction to, you know, Hugh Jackman and, and Chris Marsden, James Marsden and Patrick Stewart and all them playing them in the movies. Yeah. We all have our entrance. One last thing I want to go over that I, you brought up a little bit of, you know, talking about how 2013 seems so bizarre is that this wasn't the introduction of this, but it is a great example of why they had to explain this concept of the sliding time scale. We haven't gone over this in the podcast yet, but I think this, since there's time travel here, it's such a good point to talk about it because in the early days of a lot of these comics, you know, they didn't think like, Oh, we're definitely going to write the X-Men for 60 years. Like they didn't think that. And so they planted themselves in a lot of iconic, you know, moments from time. The fact that Magneto is a survivor of Auschwitz and, you know, even in this one, they call out Kitty starting her first, you know, uh, day of, uh, you know, in the danger room, mm -hmm. I think on Halloween, by the way, I think it was Halloween. It was like, oh, it was wow. like October 31st, which is timely. Yeah. Even though. Yeah. And. But they're like 19, you know, 81 and, and, the, and then, but then they're like, all right, let's go in the far future 2013. But the problem is that as that time has progressed and these characters like, you know, the Simpsons don't age, uh, it becomes weirder and weirder to think like how long ago did like the fantastic four go through the cosmic, you know, space thing and turn into, you know, superheroes. How old is Franklin Richards, their son who is now at best in the comics, a teenager, like to this day, yeah. 2022. Wow. So the sliding time scale is that as time, you, you, the way to think of it is that as time has progressed, the amount of time that has passed in comics has shrunk more and more and yeah. more. Now <laughs> that one year of comics is at best, maybe five, like one year of comics release is like at best five years of our time. So, so, but it all just kind of crunches together because these characters have to stay around forever. And that's normal in all comics it, with something that has been serialized for so long, like X-Men and they really haven't done any reboots. They haven't, mm -hmm. it becomes more and more weird, uh, you know, cause we're not, yeah. Like 2013, it's like 2013 X-Men comics, I'm sure was just a normal year in X-Men comics and they didn't address, they might've addressed uh, days of future past for just for the fun of it. Yeah. But it's not a hard, you know, calendar you have to follow. Interesting. Yeah. So it's just because you know, like even in this one, 
Storm and Colossus and even Wolverine are old and grayed. Yes. They're they're not now in comics. They're still gorgeous <laughs> models that oh, yeah. are statuesque. Perfect. Very statuesque. So what let, let's let's just get into talking going through yeah. the issues and just just talk about it. Okay. Um first the cover art. It's so I want to go over the cover art. I will say again, as someone who came from knowing the movie like the the adaptation before the uh before this comic yeah, yeah. Comic. watching days of future past the film yeah exactly first. It, which is which is in in honesty majority of people's experience yeah you are the norm it's it's really interesting because i i guess i didn't realize how far the story was off you know i i really like that uh kate that kitty was the person who went back in time you know, you just see all these people slain, killed, apprehended, which I mean, really, you know, it, it sets up the story well. But I don't know. It makes me wonder because, you know, like we, we talked about this, just we just come off of the Dark Phoenix story. I had to wonder mm-hmm. what people were thinking. Like, were they thinking, can we get a break? Like, can we just have them yeah, do something probably. nice? Or like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they get they get one issue where it's kind of a re it's like a, a recap of the phoenix saga like nothing much happened other than like scott leaves and kitty shows up and then they get two issues of like oh okay this is back to the usual where they're going out and fighting a weird you know superpowered monster and then they they buy this issue and it's just like cyclops dead yeah. nightcrawler <laughs> dead angel dead iceman dead yeah. like not even dead slain slain, slain. um so yeah it's it, it's 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 also one of the most reused styles of cover. Like a lot of artists love to pay homage to iconic comic covers later on, and this one with this very recognizable layout of you know Wolverine, you know you know protecting Kitty, and the the poster in the background. People have used it a ton, and I love that it's it stayed the test of time. But we jump into 2013 New York post-apocalyptic kitty's only three issues old and now all of a sudden she's middle-aged and rocking a a great green jumpsuit oh yeah which i must say they talk about how uh everyone is now classified into their respective categories if you're a human who carries what was it you carry no mutant gene so you're allowed to breed yes or you're a human who isn't a mutant but you carry the gene so you are not allowed to breed or you're a mutant, which you basically are like a you're you're a prisoner. You're yes. you belong to like a sentinel camp, in, I guess. I'm glad we've solved all these problems now. Oh yeah, fully. <laughs> it's so good that we don't classify human beings based on one thing about themselves. Huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's over. No, this was uh, X Men was originally in its original verb. Although X Men has always been a metaphor for minority groups mm-hmm. i've said this before on the con- on the podcast x-men was originally a metaphor for the jewish experience it was created by jim lee and jack kirby two jewish men who had who were living through like the worst you know parts of history of of for jews with world war ii and so forth and this is even though this is written by chris claremont and john byrne who i don't believe either are jewish this is definitely emphasizing that metaphor so much because we are seeing you know internment camps and people are labeled with letters as to what they are and they are second class citizens and so on and so forth so i think that's i i I appreciate that it's it's still a strong metaphor and that it it it's it stood the test of time and and 
and and was able to be explored in such a dark and iconic way. I'll stop calling this uh, this comic iconic. We get it. John <laughs> likes this comic a lot. But you have a point because I mean we go right from Kitty in the, you know, post-apocalyptic area with her amazing albeit sinister, you know, meaning jumpsuit into her walking <laughs> through this graveyard literally full of everyone oh, yeah. she knows. And then people that yeah. like, I didn't realize that the X-Men ever had, I mean, I guess it makes sense that they had like some kind of crossovers or I guess I didn't realize that Marvel was so intertwined because mm-hmm. in the front, you know, it's Kurt, it's Scott, it's Charles Xavier. But then right behind, you can see Reed Richards, Susan Richards. You can see Johnny Storm, which are fanta- yeah. the Fantastic Four, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Well, that's what was, um, that's part of the X-Men history is that uh, the, the, I'm repeating myself again, sorry, audience, but there was an era where the X-Men were the original five and then that comic got canceled because no one bought it. And so they didn't want to completely scrap all these characters because the characters were, were recognizable. And so they sent all these characters off to other titles. Beast was an Avenger and oh. Angel was on a team called the Defenders and so on and so forth. And so they, they, the X-Men have always like they, they, you know, they were, they were on, on their own in their own title, but then they went off to all these other titles and then it was giant size X-Men that brought them back with the introduction of Wolverine and storm and Colossus and all them. And so, yeah, there's a lot of crossover. And at the time, Franklin Richards, who's, who's introduced in this comic as of the, the friend of uh, this Rachel character and Franklin Richards, is the son of Reed and Sue. And he, was a he, he's he's always been a a a, a, a character with superpowers because he was born with reed and sue's kind of like cosmic abilities mm-hmm. i'm not quite clear if at this point he had been decided as being a mutant or not and that's still something that there's a lot of uh just it's not quite a, a clear answer well, no, it's a clear answer but it's not a quite just like he is or isn't a mutant but that's why he's even in here as well as that he has some of that that background with the x-men um, yeah. But yeah, there's 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 definitely a lot of crossover more and more with the X Men. I mean, Wolverine was premiered in a Hulk comic. Really? Yeah, that was his first. He, he was a huh. uh, he was part of uh, this Department H program from Canada, and he was there to hunt <laughs> Wendigo. We were just yeah. talking about a Wendigo in two issues before, and the Hulk was out there, and they're like the Cana- they're like in the Canadian mountains, and yeah, Wolverine's first issue was him fighting the Hulk. He got his butt whooped. Oh yeah, but. Yeah, we are in a Hulk. Oh wow! Yeah, so yeah, we 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 see this interaction with Kate and Wolverine. He's you know they're they're hatching a plan to try to get out of this camp and fix things. I love that uh, Wolverine is part of the Canadian Resistance Army. Very. Um, he, you can't can't forget he's a Canadian, and Kate has the he's given she's he he gives her this like jammer piece and so, yeah she heads back and yeah we see that image of the cemetery. Uh, which is so so dark, uh, and and I imagine very scary for people to read at the time. And then there's you know we we find out there's four X Men left, and it's just Kate, Storm, Colossus, and Logan. All matching. And then there's Kitty. yeah, they've all got their jumpsuits. Magneto's also there, who's now in a wheelchair, which I think is a nod to his to Professor X and and that sort of thing. Who's also Magneto is now also apparently a good guy because when all mutants are, you know, in camps, it's no longer a, a war between good and bad mutants. You kind of all just got to stick together. Mm-hmm. 
And then, yeah, and then we learned about Franklin Richards and Rachel. With Rachel, at this time, it wasn't made clear. She's just kind of like this redhead, you know, mutant that has the ability to send Kitty back in time. Mm-hmm. She's later, dis- they kind of add to it and, and change her into a alternate timeline member of the Gray family, which is Jean Gray. Ah. Oh. She even uh, is called Phoenix for a little bit. Okay. And she's now in, in the normal 616 timeline and, and has been a mainstay of the X-Men team for a very long time. She was a part of uh, this British comic, this British X-Men comic called Excalibur uh, with uh, like Nightcrawler and Kitty. Kitty was actually oh, wow. on that team with her. And so, yeah, right now she's just kind of like, I think they just made this character so they had somebody that could, you know, send Kitty back. Mm-hmm. But she, she, she stayed around. People like this little... This little uh, pixie cut girl. Yeah, she was. I was gonna. I was actually wondering if she'd had any significance before this comic because she didn't seem familiar, even just from like the the loose knowledge I have. But well, yeah, and this comic was also basically the introduction of a very very important trope of X Men, which is time travel. Time travel has constantly been a part of the X-Men stories. It's where we've gotten a lot of characters that people love like Bishop and Rachel herself. And we, it's, it's been, you know, Cable is also part of that. He's, he's time traveler. And this is like the first foray into that of the X-Men using time as a big thing. Like it's, it's been a huge ordeal. Like at one point beast brought back the original five X-Men to modern times to teach Cyclops a lesson. Spoiler didn't work out. (laughs) And even the most recent soft reboot house of X powers of 10, which was the topic of the first episode of this podcast. That was an exploration of time travel and alternate timelines and so on and so forth. So yeah, this is that beginning where people are like, Oh, I like messing around with time and the X-Men mm-hmm. and, and these possible futures. So yeah. Wow. And then, so we, Oh, we also are introducing this to something that's actually been an important part of X-Men for a very long time. A very, will they, won't they is Kitty and K- Kate and Colossus's relationship in this alternate timeline. They're yeah, like, I noticed that married. Yeah. Like, I guess long time they, they talk as though they've been together for, I guess, however long this has been going on, at least before. Well, they have a, re- they have a really sad moment where they're oh. talking about like, you know, the ramifications <gasps> yes. of this is the first thing if I you go forward down. in time. It's so sad it's because so they, sad. They, they come to grips with like, Oh, if we, if we accomplish this, we're erasing this timeline and erasing our love and relationship it's really sad it is and then i didn't i never knew that uh kitty had any kids but she says here that the sentinels killed them the sentinels kill oh, their forgot. children oh that's so the sad heck? like I, I was like oh i guess they're together that that's you know i yeah that's it's nice that they have each other and all this but then she says the sentinels killed my friends and then they killed my babies what the i would heck? love here's here's the really sad part is that i would love to be able to tell the readers and you that there is a resolved happy ending to kitty and colossus's relationship now in the year of our lord 2022 but unfortunately it is still something that never fully came to fruition slash didn't stay oh Um, of course (laughs) why would it so but 
it's extra sad reading this now because they really play up with this the way they write this script of just how in love and just in love for forever these two were and it's so it's heartbreaking it is but it but it adds weight to the to the gravity of this mission that they're trying to do Mm -hmm. they really don't have any like it doesn't do it justice to the comic but i'm always because my first experience with this story was with the film adaptation with you know yeah again we talked about like the cast that introduced x-men to me so like it's funny because people talk about, you know, how not having a loyalty to a certain presentation of certain characters. But to me, sure. like, you know, Halle Berry is Storm. Hugh Jackman is Wolverine. So because that was, you know, exposed to me when I was a, a really super small kid. So, yeah, I'm called back, you know, to those moments and just like the urgency of. That the way that film was made or like the way the, the sense of urgency in the film and the beginning scenes, it, this right. I was taken back to it here, even though it was, you know not necessarily with the same characters because even what was it in the film it was Iceman and kitty they were a thing uh but now it's colossus i know that yeah that's its own thing um but let's keep moving forward yes so i I, this whole beginning part of the, the comics though always brings back when i talk about relating to characters like mystique and in this instance magneto is like it sucks to say, but in this instance, Magneto was right. Like everything that he oh, says, so much they so. fear, you know, the worst part of what humanity will do to mutants is, has happened. And yeah. so I'm always looking for those moments where I'm thinking, how do these X-Men who are now, you know, wearing inhibitor collars and wearing, you know, big M's on their green jumpsuits. Yeah. How are they confronting Magneto to say you were right all along? But Magneto oh, sure. isn't even really taking, he's not sitting there saying I was right all along. He's not smug. No. Yeah. He's just, okay, you know, what do we do now? Kind of thing. Well, it, it, it definitely, that's something that they've, they wrestle for forever with these characters. And uh, the, if you, if the audience should recall, we talked about House of X Powers of 10, which is basically the exploration of the fact that the mutants always lose. And even Magneto's version of trying to solve it never worked. You know, mm-hmm. his, his attempt at trying like, you know, mutant superiority never worked. Even this story is a tale of the woes of what happens when mutants try to become the ones in charge through force. Mm-hmm. This is literally a story of like, don't do that. If you do that, the humans will always retaliate in a more escalated way and everyone loses. And, but at the same time, Professor X's dream never works. Never like full coexistence is ever achieved in in, in a long term sense. And yeah, it, Magneto very much right now in this in this comic is is feeling that. I mean, it, it it speaks to his character. Him not just entering every scene going, "Hello, everybody. I told you so." Exactly. Anyways, what are we doing today? So, Rachel. We we've we're, we're we've now we've got all the backs you know the the foundation of this bad future and we're now going to go fix it. Rachel sends Kitty back to her thirteen year old body, and we get to the go to the danger room, which is always a fun little introduction place to go. Uh, in fact, the story that we just talked about last episode opens with some danger room fun. It's just a really colorful way to get to draw and showcase the X Men using their powers, using them together working together it's a good introduction tool because you like you get to see colossus and storm and angel and wolverine and they're all doing stuff and even kitty is already immediately playing that 
that uh, fish out of water character she's supposed to be, and she's you know entering the danger room when she's not supposed to, and so all the X Men have to save her, which is extra funny because then a scene later they test her powers, and it turns <laughs> out she's she's fine. She's good. She can she can phase. It's she she just walks through all the danger of the danger room with her eyes closed and nothing touches her. Would you say she's unfazed? <laughs> she's sorry. unfazed. She is she's unfazed. This- Hey, thanks for thanks for yeah, listening, yeah, everybody. Yeah, yeah. That was Class yeah. of X this week. I'll see you guys next week. This uh, entire like the the first page where you see Kitty in her thirteen year old body and all the X Men. This era of X Men fashion. I don't know if everyone's going to bring this up, but <laughs> they're all back the in their colorful. Boots. Can costume. we just talk about the love of boots? The boots, the colors, the cuts on everything are my <laughs> favorite because. Not even, not even in just the, you know, the, the femme presenting X-Men characters like Storm and Kitty here, but you have Colossus yeah. who is wearing not even a tank top. It literally just covers what would be, I think, around his nipples. And then his yeah. entire sides are exposed. He has like three inch inseam shorts on. So those calves are out. Not the calves, the thighs are out. The thighs are out. Uh, angels in a full body suit, head to toe. Storm has buckles and like. Like the shape, <laughs> she does. Of the cuts are everything. I really wish more people would talk about this era. I mean, okay, you think like, honestly? Let me tell you something funny about Colossus. Please do. So Colossus, uh, let me see. I'm actually going to. Yep, it's actually in this comic. It's in this comic, so you guys can read this comic and and shows the showcase. If you jump a couple pages forward and you jump to the panel where Colossus has to turn into human form to catch Kitty <laughs> yes. so that she doesn't hurt herself, I want you to look at Colossus's legs in those panels. What is on Colossus's legs when he turns back to human form? <gasps> He's wearing pants. No. Take them off. Do not cover <laughs> the thighs. That so is- here's the thing. Here's the thing. The, the 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 guys who are you know drawing this and and the editor at the time of x-men was they they were this is so much you know this is part of uh, the patriarchy uh-huh. it was fine to show off women's you know exposed thighs you can see storm oh, you can yeah. see storm's exposed thighs but for some reason they thought it was weird to show men's exposed thighs so whenever colossus is in human form he has these blue pants that are underneath his like red boots and his red like uh, uh underwear that he's uh-huh. wearing but when he's in his metal form they were fine showing it because you know it, it was yeah. it looks so cool to see all of his metal but they like they try to rationalize like it looks weird to see a guy's thighs it's like no you're just no you just are straight men making you're this comment you're scared of the thigh you're scared of it just show the thigh oh my gosh uh, that is so funny yeah you don't see any men's thighs that's what we're here for. That, Same see, when Iceman uh, changed back and forth. Same when Iceman uh, changed back and forth. Isn't, okay, that, that's another topic altogether, but isn't Iceman canonically gay? He is Slay the world. now. Uh, yeah, now. He is now. In fact, there's a lot of gays in this comic that we're reading that were not, they could not be canonically gay because the editor at time had explicitly said, we are not, we are not, you know, yeah. designating any of these characters as LGBTQ or just at the time, sure. you know, homosexual. Yeah. And, but it's been, discussed and a bit confirmed that chris claremont wrote a lot of these characters uh chris and john but chris more so wrote them as queer coded Mm -hmm. and uh you know we can get into this right now actually about uh mystique and destiny since we're now talking about you know who's gay and who's not 
Mystique and Destiny are introduced later on near the end of this issue uh, when we're at the Senate and, uh, you know, Mystique, we're at the Pentagon and Mystique goes in the back room and introduces to the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Not only are all almost all of these characters of the Brotherhood queer-coded, and some are later on actually canonically confirmed as gay, Avalanche, Pyro, and actually all of them except for Blob uh, so are funny. now canonically gay. It's just a bunch of queers trying yeah. to take over the world. <laughs> yeah. That's what this as is. As we should. But you'll see in the panel there, um, if you if if people go to this where this this introduction of them, they you know they talk like, oh, there's Avalanche and he does this, and oh, here's Pyro and he does this, and here's Destiny, Mystique's friend, the one, the it's, one friend. It's, and it's also bold. It's because Chris knew that he wanted to make them these queer lovers, these 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 timeless queer lovers, but he couldn't say it ever, yeah. and so it was very much like, oh yeah, they're roommates. Yep, they're just really yep. close friends. History will say you they know, were very close. They were very close. I mean, Chris even one because uh, Mystique's biological kid is Nightcrawler, which they actually allude to, I think. In yeah, this, in the next uh, issue. In the next issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so is, and Rogue is uh, Mystique and Destiny's adopted daughter, but they could never be explicit about their relationship. And in fact, originally Chris wanted to write it, to reveal it later that Nightcrawler was the biological child of Mystique and Destiny <gasps> with Mystique presenting Mask and them having a baby. That is and so slay. I'm sorry, but the implications of that would are Would that have amazing. been so cool if that could have actually that happened? So I, that's all I want now. That's all I want. That is, <laughs> you so, know, I didn't even but people weren't that. ready yeah, people weren't ready for, you know, a transgender mystique yeah. to impregnate. When, oh, my God. Wait. Oh, because you think because I forgot that. Like, oh, my God. It changes at the, it's like the cellular level. Mystique does. Yes. Oh, that is. She, so she, she. Yeah. And so she because she's like mystique has had both, uh, uh, you know, uh, mask and femme, male and female lovers. Mm-hmm. She was even she's her and Sabretooth have a kid. Um, yeah. gross but they do <laughs> and he's a human and she's she's definitely used her sexuality you know in a lot of ways with a lot of characters majoritively men mm-hmm. in the comics because let's be honest these are written by straight men and that's mostly what they know Fully. and but destiny there's a great panel now that I, one of my favorite panels ever in comics where in modern uh, the house of x powers of 10 mystique is uh, so Destiny dies like she dies Aww. not too far after this yeah. and she stays dead in the comics for like 25 years Wow! and she just recently with his introduction that the X-Men now have the ability to resurrect all mutants oh. long story short they can do that yeah. she, they um, don't resurrect Destiny at first because they are given uh, Professor X and Magneto who are in charge are given explicit instructions that by um Moira McTaggart that you cannot resurrect destiny. So, but they, but they need Mystique's help for stuff. So they lead Mystique on <gasps> to think that they will eventually do it. And so there's a point where Mystique oh. is like getting impatient and she's done. And there's a great, uh, who I, I think it was Jonathan Hickman wrote this um, panel, but it's just Mystique going, give me back my wife. Very that. And it is so good. Good. I love it. Uh, if, and that was like one of the first times that she's gotten to say wife. Yeah. Cause she has always been Mystique's, friend oh my god but she like i feel like mystique has been like and you say this with you could say this with so many characters but mystique has been claimed by queer people far before they were allowed to confirm anything 
Yes. You know. Well, the 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 gays, God love them, have have claimed so many oh, of yes. the characters, <laughs> and 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 history has vindicated them because they're because now basically X Men comics are. For all intents and purposes, a bunch of bisexuals having sex on an island. Yep. <laughs> That's what the X-Men have turned into now in 2022, and I love it. But before that was really canonized by now a great group of like actually queer writers and artists who are making these comics. Uh, it's been there the whole time. Like Wolverine has been coded as bisexual for forever, and you don't realize it until it's point. I didn't realize it. I'll say me. I didn't realize it until someone pointed out, and now you look, and he has been just you know bisexual since almost day one (laughs) and you know you know you look at rachel and although they're like in this comic they're like oh yeah this is uh her her boyfriend franklin rachel then later on in like all comics was like totally queer coded as a lesbian Mm -hmm. but never canonized until recently she finally has a girlfriend they kiss on panel it's betsy braddock slash psylocke and they're now girlfriends and we love it but they were it was it's the, the the queers always took these characters because the x-men are a metaphor for minority Absolutely. groups and it can be heavily applied to the queer experience and i've talked about this before on the podcast you know that they've gone even literal to a certain extent with introduction of things like the legacy virus which was a metaphor for um the aids epidemic mm-hmm. it was a virus that only attacked mutants wow. and and killed them slowly when did and that run of comics come out that was '90s comics, okay. um, and so wow. it, it it came after the it came after slash during the yeah. AIDS epidemic. It was a little, I'll be honest, it's a little heavy-handed at times because sure. again, it's mostly written by straight people who are writing about the queer experience. Yeah, but I, you know, I, there's a reason why queers love the X Men because yeah. the X Men, you know, are they see themselves in the X Men, and you even just brought out like even the costumes like how do you look at these people and go that's a bunch of straight absolutely no that's what i'm saying is i'm looking at this panel and with mystique and there's not even maybe three yards of fabric that cover her entire body <laughs> and it's gorgeous well if, if we're talking about the 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 page where like she's introducing like the brotherhood yes. even like how do you look at pyro and go exactly, that's a, that's a straight man exactly I, that's he literally he is a flamer he's literally a flamer <laughs> yes, in every sense I love it. I didn't know he was uh, English. I didn't know. Yes, idea. stunning. Yes, he he is English, um, and and one hundred percent canonically gay at this point. Yes, uh, and he actually, which is even heavier now, the fact that he um he actually is one of the the few mutants that died from the legacy virus. So the metaphor is there. Yeah. Anyways, let's let's continue through the story a little bit since we've we've still just been running around. Um, we can go willy nilly with stuff. Uh. They, yeah, so they test Kitty's powers. Then that's when Kate comes into Kitty's body. She takes over. And there's one, I just have to point out, there's one really weird line there where Kate's walking around and they're like, oh, it's not, it's not Kitty. It's actually like she's, she's, she's walking and talking like a, like an adult woman. Wolverine even says she smells like an adult woman. I, I picked up little on little creepy, that. Yeah. Logan. Yeah. A little creepy. We don't have to go that far. However, they, they uh kind of take Kitty's word, uh, you know, immediately. Like the fact that this new kid, who's the new member of the team, just immediately is like, "I'm me from 30 years in the future, and we got to go to the Pentagon to save yeah. Senator Robert Kelly." And they're like, "Yes, we do. We do need to do this." And they immediately get in the plane and go. Yeah, because Kitty mentions 
the really the only one that uh, has any sort of substantial objection more than just like oh no is uh storm and then kitty says yeah. that storm in 2013 said that convincing her in the past would be the hardest thing but then not even a page later storm says well okay we're going yeah let's get yep. warren's private jet uh-huh. <laughs> and, and head out of here and we'll go to the you know and then and then in the plane she tells them all about like how the future you know goes bad because they assassinate robert kelly and then that that gives the humans a martyr to then initiate the sentinel protocols and then the sentinels you know take their directive as ai always does to a too far of a level and not only decimates the x-men but i love that they included all of a uh, meta humans that that it was just only flat scan yep. humans were allowed so it's bad for everybody which i i like this because there's also something in the comics where the x-men have always been outcast to not only humans but to the superhero community as a whole because they've never been fully integrated protected you know made a priority and the fact that they wrote in that you know if the mutants are taken down the metahumans also gonna be taken down so it 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 stands test time that it would be in the interest of these like people like iron man and captain america and the yeah for it to actually you know maybe take care of the mutants y'all maybe what if right because in this in the this panel where kitty is explaining to them what happens there's in you know very clearly artwork of these famous marvel characters x'd out it, you know they talk about crossed they, out yeah, yeah they destroyed not only heroes but villains too you see dr doom like you mentioned captain yes America. and then there is iron man yes. iron man who for all intents and purposes that i know of isn't a mutant just a oh very yeah smart he person. just got taken down by i guess uh association Maybe he's That's just so, sad. so smart that they said you're kind of weird <laughs> taking you out and also i see scarlet witch on there slay the world she's there yeah um yeah let's keep moving forward <laughs> I, th- I feel like you and i could just talk about this comic for forever <laughs> uh they they jump back to the future and they're playing a little willy-nilly with time travel where the future is progressing with the past it's not how time works but <laughs> we allow it uh we get our first death which is kind of scary franklin just getting incinerated by the sentinels very quickly uh, he's you know he's the red shirt that has to die first <laughs> and so then the X-Men fight them off because they've got, they're doing their own like side mission, but they're like, well, if Kitty doesn't work out, we've got to take down the Sentinels at their home base. Uh, there's a great panel where Colossus like takes down a building on top of these Sentinels. <gasps> yes. And I love it that these Sentinels are like holding up their hands. Like they're scared mm-hmm. that these, you know, giant robots, but they're like, ah, yeah. it's scared. I love it that. It says they make a um, scream that are frighteningly human. <laughs> That's the that that stuck with me, but Colossus doesn't care. This entire bit talks like I don't know if the X Men are particularly like they're not pacifists, but they're conscious about like no. they're they're conscious about fighting because they know the presentation of mutants is like a big deal. You know, you don't want to be seen as yes. you know too monstrous. Yes. But they make so much note in these panels to say that these X Men don't care anymore because they have no reason to. No. They've lost everything. They've yeah, they've been through enough ish that they uh. They, they know the stakes are high and like even storm calls out she's like i've killed before and i'll kill again yes. it's like dang <laughs> yes. girl's been through something <laughs> oh, in the future because because she in the past in all the past moments like and i think the next next issue multiple times has to stop logan from just like murdering yes a fool several times because she's because she's still because she's serving as leader mm-hmm. and she's still trying to 
maintain this, you know, image of the X-Men are here to uphold the same standards as other superheroes and integrate themselves in the superhero community as a way to, you know, buddy, buddy themselves up to the humans in general. Yeah. So, yeah. But then the future, no, Storm mm-hmm. will kill a man. Easily. So this is then when we learn about Mystique and all and all these characters, you know, Avalanche and Pyro. Avalanche also a gay, just have to point that out. Um, Blob is the token straight mm-hmm. in there. And we learn about they they've they've actually been around for a bit. They were originally it, they kind of write it into here where Magneto was originally, you know, the leader of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, but now Mystique is in charge. And Blob like tries to pull some BS about like I'm not gonna be you know told yeah, right, you know to, right, what to do right, by a woman. Right. Yeah, yeah. I love that Avalanche is like shut up. Okay, he, he you know the the queers are talking and we're in charge. Exactly. Both immediately so, Avalanche and Pyro like use their powers on him with a fire demon and like I don't know it, in the most dramatic manner they say shut up, which is amazing. Just <laughs> you got to do it with flame. Yes. So then we go to the Senate. Robert Kelly is trying to present, you know, to the, you know, the, the United States as a whole to try to get, you know, Sentinels a thing. This is when Professor X is still a closet mutant. The world doesn't know he's a mutant. They won't know until like somewhere in like the, the aughts when Grant Morrison writes uh, New X-Men. Um, he, tr- he thought he had more he could do as a hidden member of the mutants the x-men aren't even like associated with him Mm -hmm. his school is just a school for the gifted it's why he calls it that so that's Mm -hmm. why he's there with moira there's also i don't want to gloss over a panel where these reporters are talking about warren worthington is an out like mutant yeah and but there's warren and logan's outfit right here is great warren by the way is wearing a white like coat with uh, a frill vest and like I don't know a, either a turtleneck or some sort of ascot. I'm oh, gonna yeah. say it's an ascot. F- oh, fully, fully. And then I like his little friend. His little short friend Wolverine is like that's wearing Wolverine. A fu- that's Wolverine <laughs> right there. Wolverine has always loved being like a little bit of a uh, cowboy. He, he's he's had those vibes, but him sitting there with this white Stetson hat and uh, uh what's that called? That's the a bolo the tie. necklace. That is a bolo, bolo tie. tie. And that powder good. blue coat with a <laughs> feather in the hat, I think. I didn't even know that was Wolverine. I thought it was like an assistant or something. No, because like it's that's that it's, is it's, so it's funny. Uh, Logan is is supposed to be short, so that's why he's even that. He's supposed he to be like is? five three. Uh, yeah. You, wait, you're joking. He's a short king. No, five, no, no. Three? He's supposed to be a short king. Hugh Jackman broke that. Yeah, I was like, and Jack, he's huge. He's very tall. He's like six foot three. He's like a foot taller than what Wolverine is okay, supposed well, to be. I feel, and so I feel had. Like I feel like my my, I feel like my. See, this is part of going back to the comics. Is I feel like what I know about these characters is a lie. But that's okay. Well, because it's because they've been retold in exactly. so many ways. But yes, Wolverine is a short, hairy. We king. love that. We do. Um. So yes. So then the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants show up try to cause problems there's this this panel of mystique introducing them where she's like i am mystique of like all them there that's one of the most like uh well-known images of the brotherhood of evil mutants this is a panel that has stood the test of time and we can't gloss over destiny's great costume Mm -hmm. Uh, oh destiny is this really old woman for forever um not for forever but like (laughs) in in comics images but she's always has she's always drawn as having the best legs ever yeah she is a seven-year-old woman who clearly did her 
her calf raises because yes. she always has great legs shows them off because women are allowed to show off their thighs in these comics it's giving michelle pfeiffer uh, it's very michelle pfeiffer she's even like showing a little bit of cleavage yeah she's got this big old mask and cape mystique's got a hot girlfriend let's just very. say very easy she pulled so then she pulled <laughs> that's also what i love about mystique is that mystique is like immortal yes. and can have any girlfriend or boyfriend or or they friend that she, that that she wants but she just sees this. She meets this, you know, seventy-year-old, sixty-year-old yes. woman. She's like, "We are going to be uh, uh, girlfriends yes. and wives," and she, and because she's the only person she can stand. Exactly. She's so beyond. Like she can have it whoever she wants. She can look like whoever she wants. But she's so beyond. Right. She because like to that point, like, she's so beyond appearance. You know, so beyond anything yeah. physical that it's so. Emo- it's always emotionally charged. I think. She loves her wrinkly wife. Yes, it's great. <laughs> so. X-Men and uh, the Brotherhood of Mutants are going to fight, and we move to the second issue, uh, in number 142, mm-hmm. which has another great cover uh, that shocked, I'm sure everybody, of seeing Wolverine getting incinerated and, you know, that text call out of this issue, everybody dies. That is, It's like they were, like, screaming an explicit Amazing. Just like that, this issue, everybody dies. Is everybody dies. Gold. They were trying to sell comics, and they did it. Yep. <laughs> so then the X-Men and Brotherhood basically fight for the rest of this comic. And it's it's pretty fun to see them using all of their powers in different ways. I love that Destiny tells Avalanche how to punch Nightcrawler mm-hmm. because she can see the future, um, which that's also her, like, child, which is fun. Yeah. And then Pyro's fighting colossus and and wolverine like almost kills him this is when storm has to like stop wolverine from killing pyro yeah and then at the same time douses pyro's flames with water it's a lot of fun this and entire fight it's very good and then we we're, we you know we're seeing moira and professor x trying to make an exit but mystique using her awesome abilities and like a like psionic dampener so he can't read her mind tricks them and brings them to the back room for her and destiny to do with them as they please mm-hmm. But before we can find out the like the conclusion of that, we do get like our one more final foray into the future where Wolverine and Storm and their crew are breaking into the Sentinels home base. But twist the Sentinels knew they Maybe were coming. They already been knowed. Yeah, and uh I guess it's a we go back to the X-Men fighting a little bit more. Kitty's trying to figure out where Robert Kelly is. Cause she knows her eyes on the prize. I love that storm sees that everybody's just causing havoc yes. and destruction. And she's like, y'all need to go outside. And she just whirlwinds everybody, including her own team yeah. outside, <laughs> which is funny because it comes right after the page where her future self talks about her fear, like her claustrophobia while they're yes. in a, in a, Elevator. Elevator. Which, I don't know. I thought that was interesting because Storm generally does, I guess, fight better <laughs> outside. Uh, yeah, she's the weather witch. Yeah, exactly. She wants to be in the sky. Yeah. And so she sends everybody outside, which I ex- shows Storm is considered an Omega level mutant, which is the highest level of mutant that there is now that they've designated it. And I think this showcases it. And I don't know if they meant to do it, but Blob is not supposed to be movable. Right. That's one of his powers. He says it multiple times. Yeah. But Storm goes, you're going outside. Exactly. You're going to go. And, yeah. And he goes outside. And they go outside. <laughs> that easy. When Storm decides, you do it. Because you, so anyways, you know what happens the, to a toad when it's struck by lightning, right? <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. Jesus, man. 
don't mess with Storm. She'll 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 burn you. Anything. Although I will say, just to bring back this point, and this is the last time I'll bring it up. Blob has his thighs out. <gasps> they let Blob have his Wait, thighs out. This is double standards. It is. They let Blob have his thighs out, and I will say they look Wait. amazing. But why do yeah, the villains like... get the thighs? Where's where's my, where are my heroic men thighs? Are thighs evil? Is that what it is? I think thighs are either are they evil? They're they are either evil or they are men's women. thighs. Men's, men's thighs. thighs are evil. Yes. <laughs> Done. I didn't notice that. Why does why does Blob get to sh why does Blob show so much skin? And I, I, that's a great question because he's also he's built like he is jacked. And that's what yeah, I'm, he's he's a big guy, got got weight, but also shows muscle in every panel. Oh yeah, and and all calves of that. that are size of bowling balls. Exactly. So I just noticed that. Okay. So good eye, good eye. Well. This is also a fun moment in comic history as we move through some of these panels of like the X-Men fighting outside and, and Colossus getting zapped and Pyro starts making some more fire monsters is Pyro eventually gets his eyes on Wolverine who's about to cut Blob, which it makes sense because Blob is like near indestructible, but Wolverine has adamantium claws. He's going to probably cut the dude. And so he grabs him, and this panel here where Storm goes only seconds to act, even Wolverine's mutant fast healing ability can't cope with the damage that the flame hand will do, that's the first mention of Wolverine's healing factor. At all? At all. That's the wow. first time. Because they... Wolverine wasn't a fully fleshed out character when they first introduced him in the Incredible Hulk. They originally had thought they were just going to make his claws part of his costume. Like that was just part of his thing. He didn't have he actually have them, but then they changed it to where like, no, no, these come out of his knuckles. These are part of him. They There was a point, it's not very clear when they decided this and when they changed it, where they played around with the idea of him being a actual Wolverine that was mutated into a human. Oh, and then this healing factor introduction is a whole another thing where they were just introducing the lengths of that. And so like, you know, he can heal a little bit from a burn, but then later on, you know, we've seen where it's like, he can be fully, you know, incinerated and he grows yeah. back from like a, bl a blood sample. They also hadn't, you know, talked through his immortality at this point. His, his origin was still very mysterious and vague. Hence why future Wolverine is like gray haired and looks like the same age as storm mm -hmm. and, and colossus so yes this panel the first mention the first like literal mention of his healing That's factor. so interesting yeah i like that yeah because it, it's such a small blip but it is so they keep fighting mm -hmm. and mystiques pulls a i don't know who to shoot moment with nightcrawler and which wolverine not the best friend here because he's like i'll just <laughs> i'll just both. go in there and and yeah just get them both we'll yeah. figure it out um, I'll, I'll, cause he even says, it's like, I'll swing and the real night crawler would be able to teleport out of the way. It's like, what if we tried other ways to figure <laughs> exactly. out which, which night crawler it is. Even storm. That's, that's another time where she's like, bro, stop trying to cut people. Yeah. I know you have knives for hands, but stop it. I feel like this entire thing, like this is a, this attitude of Wolverine, especially when it comes to mystique carries through. Cause again, the first time I saw this character, Wolverine mystique is in the same movie. And she come, walks up yes. to Wolverine as Storm, but without wasting a second, he stabs Storm and reveals yeah. her to be Mystique. Yeah, it's because he can... Well, the fun thing about Mystique and Wolverine is that to talk about these characters that get fleshed out over the years and Mystique's added you know, history that they've done, her and Wolverine have 
a lengthy history eventually oh. where they've because because they're like part of the cool club of immortal mutants these mutants that have been around mm-hmm. for forever and they've the, a lot of writers have just found it fun to have these mutants that have been around forever cross paths a lot and so wolverine and mystique have you know gone through a lot and it's not it's not part of canon right now with like how they're addressing it in this comic but they add it later where you know wolverine's years of working in like you know canadian black ops he came across mystique as well so it's fun they have a lot of history fun so then the fight continues colossus i love this panel where colossus uses colossus wants to deal with blob and knows that blob apparently gets all of his power by being you know being able to stand his ground and not move and so he's just like he takes this giant steel bar and uses wolverine as like the pivot for a teeter-totter uh-huh. and yeah. <laughs> and launches blob up in the air blob also shows feet we're just i just can't talk Free i can't feet. stop now Free I, I can't stop noticing how much we're just being exposed to all of uh blobs all everything blob. yeah his blobs <laughs> all of blob and gets catapults blob up and then takes out avalanche at the same time which is a funny little panel of just he's just like blob oh no and he's like crushed by blob <laughs> hopefully you know avalanche is yeah. fine. storm solves the pyro issue with her powers nightcrawler solves the mystique issue by just knocking mm-hmm. her out which is great and then this is also yeah this is where mystique starts giving out these mysteries of like you know he's like you look like me and she's like you should talk to margali zardos and i'm sure you were like i don't know who that is but it sounds fun i hope they figured out later it made me want to go figure out what issue they do that in because i was very tempted i was curious yeah did you know at this time that nightcrawler is mystique's kid i did not know until you said it and i sat here with my jaw agape for about two (laughs) minutes but I forget that I'm talking to people that like only might know X-Men lore from the movies and they don't touch into all of this stuff. Even like Rogue is retconned in the movies as not Mystique's kid. Yeah. Uh, Nightcrawler is okay. In my head, again, we're not going to talk about the Draco yeah. audience <laughs> in my head, the actual real Canon, which was the original Canon is that Mystique was presenting femme and had, uh wooed over and married this german you know diplomat Mm -hmm. an important dude and got pregnant with his kid then through you know the the strains of giving birth drops her human form and is revealed as you know a blue skin mutant yeah so then she and then and then nightcrawler pops out and he's also (laughs) one of the rare mutants that is born looking that way oh so then she has to run yeah. and, you know, run away from these villages who are like, you know, this blue woman with her blue demon child. Yeah. <laughs> she yeets Nightcrawler away, um, but Nightcrawler is found and adopted by a Romani woman, you know, at the time they would have referred to her as a gypsy, mm-hmm. uh, Margali Zardos. And so he adopted Nightcrawler. So that's his adopted mom is who she's talking about. Got it who she's saying like go ask your adopted mom who your real mom is that's basically what she's saying okay sick yeah wow which is like just tell him right there just tell him stop stop being cagey but if there's one thing i feel like mystique is is she's not gonna be up front oh no yeah she's not gonna make it easy for any of you no not even her own biological son exactly 
and yes so and then rogue is their adopted uh daughter even their uh, color palettes are so complimentary from the red to the white to the blue yes i mean there's a reason why they they did that yeah. uh, with the red hair um i agree i love I lo- I've, I've always nightcrawler yeah. was my introduction to x-men a kid brought a nightcrawler toy to the playground <gasps> and i was like what's that this? is so cool yeah and so he was he's he'll always be my entrance into the x-men i love him but mystique is mm-hmm. one of my favorites so anyways they sort out the fight and then realize like oh yeah i forgot we were supposed to be taking care of robert kelly <laughs> smash cut to the future this is where they start really messing with the audience's head because this is the panel where cyclops uh, colossus tries to do a fastball special but this time the sentinels know he's coming and just zap a wolverine mm-hmm. into oblivion uh, and mind you this is when we do not we do not know wolverine can just come back from anything and so this looks like i mean there's like the charred adamantium skeleton oh, the next yeah. page over i've uh, just wolverine's gone i've always wondered like what people who you know actually read comics growing up or like you know on the page how did you avoid like you, you could see obviously something bad was happening in the bottom panel. You had to like keep your eyes glued <laughs> to the top, and not, for the love of God, not accidentally look down before it was time to get there, lest something. It's a real problem. <laughs> we are saved nowadays. If you read them digitally, there is the option to read a guided version on these, like on Marvel Unlimited uh-huh. or Comicsology. If like you double tap, it'll zoom in to oh, a panel okay and then you can go panel to panel okay it's also a way to like read it like in a bigger zoomed in form which is kind of fun yeah okay cool because i 100 percent agree yeah my eyes immediately saw you, the, the red text so i had to like cover that part and just like slowly yeah, go yeah. from the top down i mean that has been a problem my entire life especially when you're <laughs> reading these in physical form because yeah. then you'd opened up to two full pages <gasps> yeah and like you see on the right page at the bottom you're like no don't look don't look i gotta read i need to read this page first it's so yes. hard and especially with in a visual format yeah you call it out like it's a bright white and red moment where you can clearly see wolverine yeah, dying and you're like i'm not gonna look to ash nothing yeah so well they they try to fight the sentinels more and then we see another very vivid death where mm-hmm. storm gets skewered so sad which they it, I, I liked seeing this because I remember, again, I know I said it was the last time, but in the Days of Future Past movie, when Storm dies, it's the same method. She gets, like, javelined in the back. Oh, she does. Yeah, and I could tell that, like, they had to have taken this, this like, specific panel because it looks just the well, same. Well, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're right because there is that moment in the Days of Future Past when the movie where the Sentinels evolve mm-hmm. and they show them murdering them all, you know, melting yeah. Iceman and doing all that. And it is like very graphic is very jarring. And yeah, they definitely had to have been taking notes from this because yeah, Wolverine gets incinerated storm gets, uh, skewered. They, they mention that, that Colossus doesn't last very long after that. Yeah. Rachel is experiencing all their deaths telepathically. Poor girl's going to need so much therapy after uh. this. But then we get to one of my favorite moments <laughs> yes. in comics. We have to address the crossbow. The crossbow. I was waiting. I was waiting for the crossbow. Of all the weapons and ways that Destiny, a woman who can literally see the future, would use to murder 
like assassinate a, a you know a, a prominent government figure she's like i got a crossbow yeah and it's just got a giant silver bolt that i'm gonna i'm gonna skewer you with it's so good the guns exist yeah by the way <laughs> it is it's 1980 yeah the police were here also using i have guns to point, earlier. yes i have to point out it's because people don't know probably don't know this including you destiny's blind oh. uh hence her mask <laughs> looking solid Okay. And she and when she's when she's in civvies, she's wearing those glasses. Uh-huh. She's blind. She sees everything through her precog abilities. Yes. And so she is she is seeing you know the futures in her head as she's going, and that's why the only way that Kitty is able to stop her from assassinating him is because she is an a, an anomaly of the timeline. Mm-hmm. Like she keeps talking about, she can't see this anomaly, and so that's the only way that she's able to stop you know, a woman who can literally see the future and should be able to, you know, point that crossbow yeah. exactly where that, Robert Kelly's going to be. That one silver bullet too, which, but we also get it. I don't know where she was. We get a good it. shot of, <laughs> but that cape is long. She's not holding it. She's not holding it in an earlier panel. She's not. Cause like when they, and that bodysuit is no. skin tight. So yeah, maybe it's in her helmet again. The legs, the legs, we get the legs again. Yes. They're there. She's got good legs. They're amazing. She's probably a dancer at some point. Oh, it's got to be. Fully. That's how, that's how all these that's how all these women get these great legs mm-hmm. like that. Uh, so Kitty manages to do it just in time, and she goes back to the the future. Regular Kitty is now like, what happened? Uh, she actually gets a little bit like she mentions she has a flash of memory of like when Colossus and Kitty kiss in the the future mm-hmm. in the issue one, but that's all she remembers from it. Mystique gets away, as you said. Mystique always does. Which, by the way, she doesn't always, which is sad. But oh. the actually, well, her getting caught actually led to one of my great, one of my favorite comics, which I suggest if you like Mystique, you should read this. I was going to make this, what I'm about to say, what we're going to talk about. But it's it's a, it's a, like a one-shot, like, miniseries called Mystique. Okay. And it was basically an exploration into a solo title of Mystique, where Ooh. she is captured and um, basically Professor X is like, listen... If you will serve as a, you know, spy, you know, Mission Impossible like person for me for this little mission that I have, then I will let you go. And so he uses Mystique to do a bunch of these missions and they do some really cool stuff with Mystique with her oh, character so that cool. reveals some background. They even mess with her powers a little bit and she does some really cool stuff in there. So if you love Mystique, I would say to you and, and the audience as a whole, if you want to check out Mystique this the solo series let me see if i can find the actual year it came out so you can actually yeah. make sure you're you're calling the right thing but they, there was there was a run of time around the 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 films where they were really trying to mess around with these solo titles and there was a rogue one there was a iceman one there was a nightcrawler one and you know other than wolverine no one has had an ongoing solo series that has lasted for very long, but these are fun little vignettes. Like the Iceman one, there's an Iceman one that kind of really, you know, now that we know he's queer, you're like, this is where it's very clear he's queer and they're not even saying it. Yeah. Uh, and so it's it, 2003 was when they did this mystique one. It's just oh, mystique okay. 2003. It's a fun one. She's got, she's even got a different outfit that, you know, we loved in Absolutely. 2000s. We loved black leather. So she's in a lot more black leather, but she gets to change her look whenever she wants. She does. That's what mystique gets to do. All organic. Anyways, Let's wrap this up okay. by they save the day. 
they, they even allude like, did we do it? And they're like, time will tell. Ha ha ha. Time joke. Hmm. And final panel, we are introduced into uh, that, you know, while they manage to do it, you know, things are still not going to be good between the mutants and humans. And they're going to go ahead with this uh, government program called Project Wide, Wide Awake, um, which is a lot of Sentinel stuff, basically. And it's going to be led by this guy named Henry Peter Guyrich, who will be a thorn in your side as an X-Men reader for forever. Mm. He's he's a nasty dude. Mm-hmm. And he gets his comeuppance maybe a year ago. But this man is yucky for forever. Anyways, that is the end of Days of Future Past. It was. What did you think of this? I loved it. I, I really did. Uh, especially coming at it from... I know, like I said, I've had my background to the movies and all that stuff, but coming at it from just such a fresh, like giving it its own, you know, room to be its own thing. And I really enjoyed it from, especially from the fact that we read it as, I read it as the comic, you know, like it. Yeah. And I say that because even the way the battles work, the battles were exposition and things where you don't see superhero fights, you know, go anymore. Um, yeah, they, they, they definitely use a lot more, you, you, you said it correctly. Like the exposition was definitely a big part of these because they couldn't take anything for granted of people understanding what was happening. Exactly. And I think it's, they, they even have to call out like, you know, their powers constantly so that every reader who picks up these comics knows, oh, okay, this, 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 uh, woman, uh, can call upon the powers of the weather. Okay. I got it. Exactly. Which is like. You know, it's it's so vastly different from what I, you know we're used to now, which is like, oh, this is so and so superhero's eighth movie that they've been in cameoed eight times, so you should know every power they have, so they should just yeah. jump right in. Um, Thankfully, for modern day comic readers like myself, they don't do this as much anymore. They still they they kept this trope of having to introduce the characters with exposition at the beginning of every, almost every comic um, for a very long time. They've now truncated it to, cause they've changed the graphic design of comics in a good way. And most comics now start off, especially X-Men start off with a page that is just a roster call out with like a little, little picture of their face, their name often, and sometimes just a call out of what their powers are. And even in some instances, a couple paragraphs of what happened prior and so they've made that into just one oh. pant, what page, and then you just get into the action, which I think is good yeah. now that they've been around for this long. But yeah, for these ones, you know, they're not that old. They're only, they've only been around for 20 years, um, but not even a full 20 years. And yeah, you need, you need people to understand like, who's this little hairy man? Oh, that's Wolverine. <laughs> Got it. Five, three, short king. But how, how much did this... What, how much, how jarring would you say this was to read as far as making sense? Like you feel like you didn't get the backstory or was it a, a pretty easy entry point considering your knowledge being limited to the movies? I say it was a very, it, it wasn't, it wasn't jarring after the only thing jarring about it was the fact that uh, there were new names and mostly just, mostly just for Kate pride. First it was Kate pride. Yes. Then I understood she was Kitty and then Sprite, which I don't know. Yeah. I never heard Sprite before. I only knew Shadowcat. But very old. Yeah. That, so, but that was a really cool thing because, but also like you still, it hits for me at the core of like whatever X-Men or like the basis of an X-Men story, which is that it's the, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't story of the marginalized mutants. Very true. Whereas yeah. they were, you know, this horrible future was because 
of, of you know apparently because of this one event that took place uh caused by the you know quote unquote evil brotherhood of mutants um mm-hmm. and then so you know the x-men stopped them but still as we saw it's going on anyway so to you know that we know of yeah it's 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 interesting to see this uh i i, I the X-Men have always the X-Men are great uh like we've said metaphor for the minority group for the for the underdog for all of that for and uh they even they even have to play the role of having to be extra good extra you know exceptional yes. because they're already being judged to the point where they have to police their own mm-hmm. So as to to continue to try to fight this image where the humans immediately judge them, the flat scans immediately are, fear them and hate them. So they not only have to be exceptional and perfect and the heroes save the day, but they have to police their own people so as to not continue to besmirge their 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 mission to be accepted. Mm-hmm. Which is which is very common and and known in the minority groups where you're held to higher standards because you're already one step down. Yes, and it, it you know it makes me sort of sad for for them just because you know you see at the end like the storm, the Wolverine, they all gave their lives at the end of that timeline. Yeah, and for maybe nothing, but maybe something, you know that. But that chance was what they they were willing to take the chance for it. Yeah, it's 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 a struggle for I mean it's it, part you know part of good story writing there has to be a struggle there has to be you know conflict and that kind of thing but it it is it it can become a lot to read the X-Men for a long time and just constantly seeing them having to fail in new ways because you know they never are fully accepted it's why in modern times right now in 2022 they literally were like we're just going to make our own nation on an island that is literally a mutant (laughs) itself and we're going to not really trick but we're going to almost bamboozle the world into accepting us on in the united nations because since 1963 uh they have never been fully accepted there's moments that they've been accepted there's a there's a semi-fun little time where they uh, raised a, a, a failed, like a, a, a crash-landed asteroid that Magneto had used. They raised it out of the San Francisco Bay and tried to create their own little place called Utopia. And they actually worked in conjunction with like the San Francisco government and mayor, oh, wow. which was again, you know, very direct metaphor of like San Francisco's uh, acceptance of the queer community and all that kind of stuff. Sure. So they're going to accept the mutants more. But they, the X Men, never win. They're always a struggle. And and this. You know, this is an early iteration of that mm-hmm. where even in the future, this is the dark future that is always waiting there. Yeah. But I can totally see why it serves as like one of the most poignant X-Men stories and like a prime example of what the X-Men are all about and why they turned it into a movie. Because it's Yeah. It just there's so much about it that is core X-Men and there's so much potential, you know, for not only the characters, like the the stories that we saw of these characters, but you know, the the way if they take more liberties to explore the stories of other characters and their futures before you know yeah. they passed away or they were rounded up by the sentinels it definitely would have been for me i feel like amazing to be able to like go back in time and experience this comic as it came out mm-hmm. and how 
you know, this is the the level of shock that I'm sure everyone felt when watching Infinity War, the yeah, end of Infinity absolutely. War, and even Endgame. That's this version. Yes, that's people. You know, at, we we all saw Spider Man evaporate. Mm-hmm. Spoilers alert. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but seeing Wolverine evaporate was there. Oh, yeah. Like, Wait, is Wolverine going to be gone? What's happening? Is he skeleton. is he going to come back? Yeah. Well, Laurie. John. Thank you so much for joining me to talk about X-Men. We talked for quite we a while. We did. I didn't even realize how how much we talked. There. And I was like rushing us along because I, I think... <laughs> you crushed it. Like just talking about the, the clothes alone, you and I could just do this <gasps> oh, for forever. fully. I could... I love this era. It's such a good one. I'm so glad you invited me to come talk about it. And I was so glad just to read more about... Mostly like of all the characters, you know, Mystique. Just because she is... Yeah. She is that girl. I, f- I felt like this was a good moment to pull from Mystique history. I forgot that this was also the moment that she even like starts teasing her connections to Nightcrawler. So that was fun to get to, you know, uh, push your way. Um, I really do. I'm, I'm, this was, I, this was really enjoyable. And um, I, I, before we say goodbye, I have to address that I forgot to ask for questions from the Patreon. So there's no question section this time, which is fine. Cause we went over even with me moving us along and so, but if you guys have uh, questions for the next episode, I'll be sure to put a post on the Patreon and uh, make sure you guys can submit those there. Thanks again to everybody who's been supporting the show. I love everyone's comments and their, uh, you know, messages on their DMs and their replies on stuff. It's fun to see everybody enjoying this. And I hope you guys continue to enjoy it. If you got, it's, it's now on all of the streaming platforms so if you guys could leave a review there that's how this gets seen by other people on those platforms so if you could do that would love it but before you do that you have to check out Lori. Lori uh, streams uh on twitch all the time um in drag looking gorgeous <laughs> and streams at twitch.tv slash laurie bird l-a-w-r-i-e bird yes yes yep. you got it um playing as the queers do, plenty of uh, spooky games and Dead by Daylight mm-hmm. and uh, all that fun stuff, as well as a variety of streamers that yeah. you would consider yourself. Yep, moving into yeah. that IRL vibe, but we love horror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, so if you if you want to add another wonderful uh, drag queen to your list of Twitch streams to watch, you got to check out Lori Bird um, and, and do that now. So... Any, anywhere else that you need want to send people to to see anything? No. Uh, well, if you're ever here in Austin, uh, just look for me on a drag show poster. We got drag shows coming up all the time here in Austin. It's a great place for queer community and queer art. Local artists are some of the the local artists here in Austin. I think are some of the best in the country. So check them out. Yeah, Austin. Uh, very good call. Austin's a great place for the queer and the, and the drag yes. scene. <laughs> Anyways, thank you guys so much for uh, listening. I will see you guys next week. Be good, be kind, be brave, and I'll see you later. Bye. Bye.